him. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Ed is gone for the next two days. (laughs) (laughs) Willie Ramirez is in. It's going to be a good show. Ed got the boot, huh? Yeah, why not? Get him out of here. He's a little sour. He's, you know, he's cranky at times in the morning. I get it. I understand. The first bite. You just killed Ed. Um, Will the Raiders' injuries prevent them from starting 2-0? He's going to Pittsburgh. Same difference. So, you think the Raiders are going to have an offensive line on Sunday? Well, they're going to have... Five guys in front of Derek Carr. How long will they stay in front of Derek Carr? (laughs) And I don't know how much they're going to need to rotate in and out, but they're definitely going to be a beat-up bunch. Um, The Raiders' injuries could definitely prevent them from starting 2-0, and I think it starts with that offensive line. Um, It's it's not good, that's for sure. Um, You know, it's just a matter of the the pressure that that Pittsburgh brings, and if – you know, how much it feeds off of last week and, and the confidence it had. Did Was it Pittsburgh that made Josh Allen look bad or was it Josh Allen just rusty and, and look bad on his own um, is the question. It's, uh, but, you know, that short week, uh, Gruden talked about it and the uh, the players that, that have been made available and – they just it's just scary to see that that injury report co- uh, come across the the uh, the email from from the PR uh, group that it just gets it's it's the list is like a Christmas list for a ten year old. Well, usually <laughs> there's good things on a Christmas list. Yeah, well, it's good things in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so the last the last year, the Steelers and the Ravens were first and second in blitz rate in the NFL. I actually thought the one thing the offensive line did well against Baltimore was like Derek Carr wasn't under pressure a whole lot in that game. There were they had some couple blown assignments where Carr was under pressure, but for the most part, the run blocking wasn't good, and there were some critical mistakes where you know Andre James snaps it too early or Alex Leatherwood commits a false start. But for the most part, Carr wasn't under a ton of pressure in that game. I think the pressure rate was under twenty five percent. So. That's maybe the one area they held up well. Will that work again? Will they be able to do that again against another team that's likely to blitz a lot when you don't even have Denzel Good to start this game? Who's out with a torn ACL? Richie Incognito still has not practiced this week. He could still end up playing, but it's we're looking at Friday, and he hasn't practiced yet, so that would seem unlikely at this point. And you're talking about an offensive line where Colton Miller's the only proven player? I mean, Andre James... Alex Leatherwood were both ranked the lowest at their positions by pro football focus in week one. So it's, it's a scary offensive line. And you look at like the running game, Josh Jacobs is still on the injury report. Now I think he'll end up playing, but was he a hundred percent in week one? It didn't really look like it. I don't know that they're going to be able to run the ball very effectively. They don't, they barely ran the ball. If it wasn't for Mariota's 31 yard run, they would have had horrible rushing stats in week one. So I don't know that they're going to have very much rushing success in this game either. The thing, yeah, and that's just it is is the makeup of this team. It's you know coming into the season and after last year it was you know Carr being efficient with his passing game, but that it's a run first offense. But here's the thing: all through training camp, what's been impressive is his receiving options when your tight end is your number one guy and all of a sudden you have guys like Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs looking really good during training camp and then Zay Jones who happened to catch the walk-off touchdown um, 
and other guys stepping up, Kenyon Drake coming out of the backfield to catch passes. That was the talk during training camp is what he can provide as a backup. And it wasn't necessarily coming in and giving rushing yards. It was being able to. So, you know, this may be one of those games with the patchwork offensive line and an aggressive Pittsburgh defensive line, you know, going back East on a short week where those dink and dunk passes, those little screen passes, um, shooting off to into the flat and, and, and trying to get some open field runs, especially with Kenyon Drake or Darren Waller. Um, and if you watched that game carefully, you saw how many times once he targeted, I thought that I had at one point I had added it up that is it, at one point in the first half, Waller was 84 per, targeted 84% of the time and Baltimore started double and triple teaming him. It's going to leave guys like Ruggs and Edwards. I have been saying, and I'm not the only one, but you get Edwards in a one-on-one man-to-man. I mean, that guy can go up and get it. So it's favorable if he can get enough time to to create something. And like I said, I mean, in the first half, if you just drop some dink and dunk passes and, and go for the short yardage, they may have to turn to the passing game. So what do you make of Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs role? Because if the Ravens, before Justin Tucker kicks that field goal that put him up by three with 40-plus seconds left, if the Ravens had gotten another two yards on third down, they would have had a first down. They would have ran the clock out. Tucker kicks a game-winning field goal. Brian Edwards would have finished that game with zero catches. Yeah. But Raiders get the ball back. Edwards makes two of the biggest catches of the game. They get to overtime, and then he makes the big catch that almost won them the game, and he ends up second-leading receiver on the team with 80 yards. So what do you make of where Ruggs and Edwards stand in terms of their role in this passing game? Because we almost played an entire game where they had almost no role at all. I heard and I heard you bring that up earlier this week. And I'm right there with you in the press box, going, "Okay, where's Brian Edwards? When, are we, we going to use him or not?" Because all through training camp, this dude was putting on a show. I had, and they came out on fire. You know, I mean, it's one thing is a training camp. I get it, but you know, apparently, I didn't go down to L.A. They, you know, the the offense looked good. The defense stood up to to the Rams. Um, so I believe that you know. Their role should be a lot. They they should be brought into the the game a lot quicker. They should be brought into the mix. I'm not sure what Gruden was thinking. I'm not an NFL coach, but I do believe that Brian Edwards made a statement during training camp. Brian Edwards made a statement Monday night and proved his value. Um, Rugs, as far as his, you know, I think this is those are two guys that they need to be brought in a little bit quicker when you start to see the defense focus on guys like Darren Waller. It's, it's clear the writing is clear uh, on the wall that who Derek Carr's number one target is. He was a leading receiver the past couple of years. So, um, but Edwards is dangerous, man, and he needs his role, whatever it may be. It it needs to be a priority role, especially in a game like this. When you're going to play a heavily aggressive, physical, you know, team on its own field, and again on a short week, and you're traveling, um, I believe that Edwards, in front of Rugs, I think they both should be playing a significant role. But I think Edwards is your is your guy that you have to start mixing in and and really bring him to the forefront in your passing game, not necessarily superseding uh, Darren Waller, but he's got to be brought into the mix quicker. So I want to ask you the other side on defense. The Ravens aren't really an offense that's set up to take shots down the field. They're a run-first offense. The two guys they wanted to be their top receivers were hurt and are out for the first three weeks of the season anyway. So we didn't see but a couple of shots down the field from Lamar Jackson in that game. 
Do you think Pittsburgh does that? Do you think Pittsburgh looks at it and says, okay, Jonathan Abram was not good in coverage last year. They're trying to play him more in the box. And that leaves a rookie in Trayvon Merrick as a deep safety. Like if you're Pittsburgh, I have to imagine that's where you're going. Even though Pittsburgh last year has been a very short, their, their passing offense has been highlighted by short passing games. I have to imagine at some point, somebody's going to say, we're going to test Trayvon Merrick and see if we can beat him deep. Yeah. Well, that, that would be the obvious answer. The thing is with, with the biggest difference, obviously, is going to be that Ben Roethlisberger is not going to be moving like Lamar Jackson. So we're go- we're going to see, you know, you're going to see a lot more passing. You're not going to see a lot more um, mobility. Um, Abram, for what it's worth, you know, as bad as he was last year, I think he's in his comfort zone. I think he's in the right spot. So I'm not sure if running off those short screens would work for them. So I think they have to go up top, you know, and but. Again, during training camp, one of the things that we saw a lot of improvement just in terms of the efficiency, the energy, and sort of just the attitude that they came in and talked, the way that they spoke, bringing in Milas as the secondary coach and, and then underneath Bradley was how improved this secondary was. You know, there was the one day out there where the secondary got the best of the offense big time and Derek Carr came in, to, you know, he admitted that they, he was upset. They were, they were, they were, you know, quote unquote angry, but they, you know, that they, they wanted to get payback on the secondary because the secondary got the best of them. So I think it's been playing off of one another to improve. This will be a good test, but I'm not sure if, you know, um, I'm not sure yet because we have to see what the, if the athleticism can, ha- can hold up and, and then you mix in the football talent and, uh, you know how how they perform in a situation like this, uh, but I would imagine that Pittsburgh's going to have to test them downfield, considering you don't have Lamar Jackson. You know, people forget Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. He didn't just lead quarterbacks; he led the entire league last year with like six point three yards per carry. He was number one of rushing uh, yards per attempt. So you go from that to 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 having to shift your defensive focus on, on now covering a guy like Ben Roethlisberger in the passing game, you know, I, I would imagine that they'll be prepared. It's just a matter of putting it out there on the field. But I do think that they're going to have to test him. The other key is going to be, is Max Crosby as dominant as he was in week one? Because Max Crosby was unbelievable. It yeah. might be the best game he's ever played. And you might not have Yannick Ngakwe. He was at practice yesterday, but was as taped up as I think I've ever seen anybody who's not yeah. who's just going through like a walkthrough. Yeah. So maybe Ngakwe plays, and but if he does, he's probably not 100%. So if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm mainly worried about Max Crosby because the Raiders didn't get much from their interior defensive lineman in terms of a pass rush against Baltimore. And then outside of Crosby, Cronass about a good game, but it means Cleveland Furl's going to have to play, who the Raiders made a healthy scratch in week one, which is not really a good sign. So I'm, I'm curious if the Raiders pass rush can be as good as it was in week one. I would expect it's not because that was an unbelievable performance by Crosby and Ngakwe. But if they can, if you can create some pressure, right? If you can get back there 33, 35% of the time against Ben Roethlisberger, you're going to eliminate a lot of those shots down the field simply because he doesn't have the time to throw them. And I, you know, that's one of the things that, that they, uh, they talked about throughout training camp was the strength and conditioning program during the off season, but also the, the ability to, and I compared it to like a, a hockey team where you're always rotating your line. So everybody's staying fresh and there's limited, you know, um, you know, the minutes you're keeping it right. A shift, a, a hockey shift should be what? 45 seconds to a minute and a half. These guys talked about how they're going to be able to rotate 
their players, you know, you're going to have your starters or your main guys, but to keep in legs fresh. The scary thing is, is you, you lose Gerald McCoy, which was a terrible story, especially as energetic as that guy came in all training camp. Heartbreaking to see. And, and as you mentioned with Ngakwe, but um, so that depth with the, with, with scratching Clee Farrell, he's going to be hung. If he, if he gets the nod to come into the, to play this week, he's obviously going to be hungry to prove himself. I mean, this is a guy who came in, you know, he was drafted fourth and Crosby drafted in the fourth round. And yet you see what happens last week in, in the, in the home opener where uh, Farrell is scratched. So he's obviously going to have a chip on his shoulder. I personally believe that Max Crosby and a lot of the media members have been impressed with Max Crosby's um, work ethic leading up to the season. Um, and I go back to the strength and conditioning because they talked about getting being able to get into the weight room, being able to work out as much as they did and do a lot of conditioning that they weren't able to do last year because of the pandemic and the closed facility and having to work out on their own. And that top-notch facility and their strength and conditioning team and Crosby talked about leaning out, picking up some speed on, you know, and, and working on his footwork. The defensive lineman drills have been really impressive in terms of where they line up. They're not just taking one shot, getting back in line. They're they're doing four or five reps at a time. You got um, Marinelli just gets in there and he notices these little tiny things. He'll see, you know, good in hit. He'll tell him dip your shoulder just before this or just be after that. And he he's he's very um, meticulous with it. And I think that it it showed, especially with Max Crosby. Um, so. It, in terms of to your to your comment on Crosby, I do think that he is poised to have another, you know, or have a good season overall. Whether it's as good this week as he was last week, that remains to be seen. But I do believe that Max Crosby is on, is on pace to have a, a spectacular season. For the rest of the line, with as banged up as it is, it's a matter of next man up mentality, and that's what they talked about on Wednesday, specifically Max. Um, the other thing that Derek Carr brought up that day was that – um, that was why throughout training camp, they, they you saw the ones working with the threes, the twos working with the threes, the ones working with the twos. You never knew. And media members are going, wow, he got some snaps with this. He did this. But it was for this reason because it's such a physical season. And they expected if someone goes down, they want everyone to be ready. They expected to lose their entire team in week one. <laughs> All right. A little bit later in the show, we are going to have $200 to give away the Dollar Loan Center Friday football frenzy. I'm just going to give you three NFL games, and all you have to do is pick three winners. And if you do that, 200 bucks will be yours. So that's coming up later. But coming up next, Golden Knights rookie camp is here. We'll get into the Vegas Golden Knights. Next question this morning comes from Justin Emerson, the Las Vegas Sun. Hey, Mark, you guys have, have played pretty well over the last two games, came out with a win in one of them. So I guess how much of the game plan for game four is kind of stay the course and do what you've been doing, and how much of that is, is, is knowing that uh, – that you guys do need, uh, I don't know, sorry, I guess that how much um, that you, wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Rookie camp is here, and I can't wait for Justin Emerson to ask some more questions to the Golden Knights. Will any of the rookies have him, though? Will they? Will they get him? No, I don't think they'll have his back if he messes up like that. Yeah, I think they'll just keep staring at him like, what the hell is this guy saying? Like, Mark Stone saved Justin Emerson. We're kind of disappointed in Mark Stone because if Mark Stone had not stepped up to be like, I got you, Justin Emerson might still be stammering through that question. 
The Ra- yeah, I tell you what, the Raiders crowd loved Mark Stone. You know, the Ravens were up 14 nothing at the time, and all of a sudden you hear that John Wick theme come in. And the crowd, just, it was all of a sudden it was just like a... <gasps> And then and it, and the roar, and then they showed the four that were in attendance, and the crowd went crazy. It kind of lifted it up at the right time. That might have been the inspiration. The Golden Knights okay. might be the reason the Raiders <laughs> came back. <laughs> That's I give them credit. So, all right, here's what I'm fascinated in. You told me you had a season ticket draft for Golden Knights games. Yeah. There's... Uh, so before we get into your first pick, okay. how how many people and how many tickets? Five people. Okay. Nine home games. One of the five always ends up with nine regular season games. Four of us end up with eight regular season, one preseason oh, game. Brutal. Okay. All right. And you had the first pick? I had the second pick. You had the second pick. Oh, okay. What was the first pick? Uh, first pick was the they took the Kraken home opener with the franchise with the new franchise. All right. I guess that's a good pick. Your <laughs> you had the second overall pick and you chose the Chicago Blackhawks first visit to Vegas for the Marc-Andre Fleury video tribute. So if he is like hurt or something before that game, that's going to be a bust of a second pick. Yeah, but that's why I got to sell it quick. (laughs) 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 Got to get it on the market quick. So, okay. What I I am fascinated. Like what were the other picks in this? Because once you get past the home opener against Seattle, Marc-Andre Fleury back, like how high did the New York Rangers and Ryan Reeves and Gerard Gallant coming back go? Oh, well, you know what? Let's, let's, I can pull it up. Uh, yes. Draft results. Draft results. Draft results. Cause, cause the way that, uh, John, uh, you know, John Castanino. Yeah. He's, he's in charge of it. He's, he's, he's the leader of it. So here were the, here were the number one picks. Um, the Kraken was, was, uh, was one first round pick. Uh, the Kraken on November 9th was, a, was a number one round pick. What? The Flyers, because uh, one of the members is from Philly. Um, I had Chicago, and then John Casanino, who's from Chicago, took the second game versus Chicago. So that was the first round. (laughs) What is this? Tyler was not going to be paid. Was not going to be positive. I was thinking. I was always thinking money. So my second round. My second. You're the only one that has a good pick in there. Right. My second round pick. I went right to the home finale against the Sharks, figuring. Once the playoffs start, if they make the playoffs, uh, ticket prices are going to go up. So it's a last chance. It's against the Sharks, no matter how bad the Sharks are. And even though Reeves isn't here to fight Evander Kane, the gambler. Um, Evander Kane might not be here either. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd be welcome back. Might be in divorce court. So I took took the, uh, the home finale against the Sharks on April 24th. Let's see what other second round picks. There was, uh, someone took Winnipeg. What what is happening? Someone, uh, John John took the Avalanche. Okay, finally. Yeah. Uh, someone took Edmonton. Connor McDavid. Okay. Uh, and where else is number two? You're telling me Gerard Gallant and Ryan Reeves made it the third round? Y- yeah. Let me tell okay. That, let, so here's the problem. I'm going to tell you where they made it. You've got you've got five people here drafting here, and they all drafted like Mike Mayock does, where they did not understand the value. I got my of guy. That's it. It's yeah. like okay, if I'm from Philly. <laughs> And I want to watch him go play the Flyers. That's my last round. Unless anybody else 
in this group is also from Philly. You don't have to take the Flyers in right. your first pick. Right, right. Because nobody else is going to be like, oh, I got to see the Flyer. I got to see Carter Hart give up six goals. And after three years of this, it's pretty much been an understood. Like, for instance, at some point, that first year I was in it, they left Ottawa alone because my mother was born in Ottawa. They knew that. So so they, so they at some point they went, Willie, aren't you going to drop Ottawa for my mom? I was like, nah, she's over that. She wants, probably wants to see Flurry or something. <laughs> so most of the guys know who the other hometown teams are. Uh, Reeves and Gallant, which happens to be the Rangers home game happens to be right before the Blackhawks game. It's back to back. Um, it lasted till the fourth round. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Value. Steal so, of the draft. So I went, I, I, I was Crosby very conscious of the value of the tickets. I took the third home game thinking the first one would be pricey. The second one, but then the third one's against Edmonton and McDavid. So I grabbed that one. So I think I've got, you know, some, some decent value with the with the tickets. I've already, I already sold a pair to Minnesota. I, I grabbed Minnesota knowing my chiropractor and her fiance chiropractor was uh are the is from Minnesota and would want to go to that game. They've already scooped those. You had a pre-draft uh, trade I, set up. I, I actually I went on my <laughs> Instagram Christ. story and said, "Look, I'm about to go on uh and do my pre so I'm taking orders and had the little question box on my story." <laughs> You're the only one that drafted well. I'm convinced of it. All these other picks are bad. Got picks. the lightning in the third round. You got Tampa. I, was I got say, the def- Tampa does come here this year, right? I got the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. Oh, I did well in this draft. If this was like a fantasy league, I won. Yeah, because you didn't take Chicago, or you didn't take <laughs> Philadelphia in the first game. <laughs> That that is the guy who, in one of my fantasy leagues for years, would take Larry Fitzgerald in the first round, despite like the rest was being like, okay, sure. Wait, why did Seattle get taken twice in the first round? Like I guess the home I, opener's fun, but after want, that, do you yeah, really want to see Seattle? They want to see. I don't. You know, and John. I, I guess John. Picks you know, and it's chooses, a win. I guess John picks and chooses when he's going. Since he's he he'll get credentialed. Um, no one else is going to get credentialed. And uh, now, when I first got into this, I did it for two reasons. One is, as you know, my son and I own a gym, so his high, his some of his bigger clients, he would take as a courtesy. Hey, let me take you to the game, so on and so forth. Um, if he was seeing somebody one of the seasons, so he took his girl, or friends and family, so they don't get gouged by the price jacking. Oh, you're so nice. I would, I'd still make a make a little <laughs> juice. You know, I'd round up. You know, I got to round up and make a little big. We're in Vegas. You know, it's like get, getting the town. I'm, I'm the bookie. But uh, instead and, of them getting gouged by random people, they'll get gouged by me. But <laughs> yeah, well, not for like fifty to hundred markup. However. The Blackhawks tickets, someone's getting gouged. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. someone's going to want to see the Flurry tribute. And even if that dude is injured, he's going to be in the house. He's going to make a return. He's going to be here. I would think unless he's, you know, unless he can't fly because he's gotten another concussion, he's coming to Vegas. I would hope so, too. Yeah. Man, you're going to be screwed if he doesn't if he doesn't show up in the first one and he comes for the second Chicago game. Yeah. That'd be brutal. Then Castanino made out good. Yeah, then, but again, like I said, that's 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 like it's like a fantasy draft, right? You draft in the you draft before the season, and then the last, then the preseason finale, your main guy gets hurt. That's why I got to get rid of these tickets quick. Last one for you: How do yeah. you decide who gets the nine regular season games when everybody else has to get stuck with the preseason game? It's a it's a snake draft. So he did a random. We did this year. We did it on the Zoom. Okay. So he on the Zoom he had this little random. 
Random scrambler order generator. The scramb- gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. so then you, and then we snake it. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Coming up next, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus joins the show. I just think, um, you know, he, it's time for him to take that next hump and and try to get a win. I hope this team and we prepare and the coach prepare to do our best to try to, um, you know, will a win for the organization and and. and Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. All right, Austin, are we anointing Taylor Heineke? Is he winning the NFC East this year? Absolutely not. I don't think this uh, Washington football <laughs> team is prepped to really beat out the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys right now are plus 135 win the division. I like them as that kind of best bet of any division winner. I think they, if Dak Prescott stays healthy, should win this division quite easily. I think Tyler Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick, whoever's quarterback in the Washington football team, doesn't give them the advantage. I think, if anything, through two weeks, I've been discouraged by this Washington football team defense. Like, this defensive line is good, but it isn't performing at an elite level. They struggled against the Chargers and even against the Giants. You know, everyone talks about this football team's defense as a big mismatch. You know, they were good, not great. I mean, again, you don't see them showing up in elite ways. I think maybe their defense was overstated, and this offense is going to continue to be middle of the pack. Austin, I'm going to reserve my judgment for Washington's uh, defense, just because I, I, I loved the over last night, and I even talked about it on the air with somebody who loved the under, and my argument was that you have the, sh- you know, the argument for him was, well, it's a short week, so they're going to be tired, and I said, well, that would sort of go toward the defensive lines, I think, and by the second half, we're going to see both teams light it up, mainly because you got one defense that was chasing Teddy Bridgewater around, the other one that was chasing the entire Chargers offense around. Now you come off that short week, and you have two young quarterbacks poised to you know, make a statement and, and sort of prove themselves in, in Daniel Jones in a make-or-break season and Heineke getting a break as as the starter with Fitzpatrick out. So I'm sort of reserving judgment still on, especially on the on Washington's defense, um, and with this extra time off to prove itself, you know, in week three. And I don't think that's a you know crazy take at all. I mean, obviously working on a short week, you know, both teams are going to be you know again you know more tired than you are on a full week. I think for Washington's defense on the back end, though, I think Kyle Fuller is probably the only cornerback that's had a ton of success with them so far. William Jackson, the lowest graded player on that Washington defense this past week getting beat deep by Darius Slayton on that touchdown. I still think you want you we expected a juggernaut. We haven't seen it. And um, you know the excuse right now is the short week. The excuse in week one is that the Chargers offensive line is really good and so is Justin Herbert. I'm looking forward to seeing what the excuse is in week three. I do want to ask you about the Raiders. First the positive side of the Raiders. Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby were both really good. I think you guys had them both top five edge rushers after week one. Ngakwe's beat up. We'll see if he plays and if he does, if he's at 100% this week. But how good can Max Crosby actually be this season? No, I think he's a really talented pass rusher. I think he's an ideal you know, number two. I, I wouldn't call him you know, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, but he has length, athleticism, and a motor. And he's improved every year of his career with Las Vegas Raiders. So that's kind of a recipe for a very productive player, a guy that I think can finish you know, top 10, top 15 in pass rush win rate this year you know, of all goes accordingly. And I think he's also in so much of a better position to succeed with Gus Bradley on, you know, calling the defense. He had an exceptional game against the Baltimore Ravens. It was one of the few times you saw Lamar Jackson actually rushed with reckless abandon. You know, so many defenses play safe with their rushers and tell them to avoid breaking contain before they actually peel their ears back and rush to avoid him running the football on them. And obviously the Raiders gave up some big plays on the ground, but still, 
forcing consistent pressure like they did and really pinning their ears back, I think, was something the Ravens haven't seen in a while. It's definitely something Ronnie Stanley hasn't seen in a while, one of the worst games of his career. So I do think that um, that was a huge win for the Raiders. I think Gus Bradley is a big addition that's actually going to put these players in a position to succeed. And it's why a lot of the reason why Crosby and Unique and Gakwe both had success. On the other side of the ball, I'm starting to enjoy this back and forth between Stephen A. and Keyshawn on whether or not Derek Carr is an elite quarterback. Stephen A. loves to clown Keyshawn. But the thing is, Keyshawn has been on the Derek Carr bandwagon long before he gave his list of five elite quarterback or six elite or five or six, whatever it was, and lumped Carr in with Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, Wilson, Um, at least a month ago when training camp started, he was talking about he was comparing his and Stafford's numbers and how he's been very productive. And obviously the last couple of years, it's been the defense that's been the Achilles heel. Um, And so after Monday night, those two went at it again. Um, Is Carr just a really good clutch quarterback and not the reason why the Raiders aren't going to the playoffs or is he an elite quarterback in your eyes? Where, how, how do your, when you look at the analytics and, and, and where he's at, I mean, it's only week one, but just overall, um, in where he can progress. Yeah, no, Derek Carr, in my opinion, is not an elite quarterback. I think mean, if you're going to be an elite quarterback in the NFL, you need to be top six at your position, minimum. I mean, you could argue top four is probably more likely, but still, he's not a top six quarterback in the NFL. He is, I said this probably all offseason on the same show, the best player on this team. Derek Carr is the best football player on this team. I would include Darren Waller in that conversation, especially when considering positional value. I'd argue at his best, which I think we saw in the fourth quarter and overtime in this game, he's a top 12, borderline top 10 quarterback, which you can win with when your defense was against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, can you do it against some of the, you know, when your defense isn't playing as well? Can you put up points? Can you put together a complete game? That's what we need to see from Derek Carr, at least this season. In week one, spotty accuracy to start. Force feeding Darren Waller. He was one of seven targeting Darren Waller in the first quarter. Like that rough start, honestly, kept the, you know, forced the, everyone, my least favorite stat for quarterbacks is comeback. Because what happens? How do you get into a comeback situation? <laughs> you have to play like terrible in the first quarter. You don't play well early. Like I don't understand why comeback wins is this big coveted staff for Stafford and Derek Carr. It's like, yeah, they're coming back from behind because they played terribly in the first half over the first three quarters. And that's what Derek Carr did. Like Derek Carr did not play well early in that game. And yet he came back and won it, which is great. And he called it the clutch screen, whatever. But the quarterbacks that win in this league win all four quarters and win football games handily. And that's Patrick Mahomes. That's Aaron Rodgers. That's Tom Brady. Those are the lead quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Well, well, that remains to be seen this Monday against Detroit. Uh, l- let me ask you that. What do you make of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in week one? I mean, this is a classic kind of burn the tape game. You know, I think someone brought it up recently that, like, we saw this same Packers team play like this against Minnesota last year. What was a huge upset win for Minnesota. Green Bay looked bad on offense and defense. They couldn't do anything right. Like, Aaron Rodgers this week, I think, was the lowest quarterback of any quarterback in week one. In week one. I don't think we see that Rodgers again. I, I don't want to overreact to week one, overreact to a small sample size. If you tip your cap to Jameis Winston and the Saints team, like that offense line absolutely bullied the Green Bay Packers defensively and in offense or our defensively, the, you know, the Marshawn Lattimore had a handful of good plays, limited Devontae Adams. This was a good performance for the Saints. I think Green Bay maybe came in a, a bit overrated in this game and, and probably were surprised by the Saints throwing that big punch, but I think they bounced back. I think Aaron Rodgers gets back to form. On Jameis Winston, there's five touchdown passes, but didn't even break 150 yards. But 
is he actually going to be good? Like, what do you what do you make of the Saints' offense and what they could be this season after Week One? So I feel like the biggest Achilles heel for me for the Saints' offense is the receiving core without Michael Thomas. I think it's a bottom three unit in the NFL without Michael Thomas with Deontay Harris, Marcus Callaway, Adam Troutman. There's not a lot of talent, but when you are you know running the football as well as they did, and then taking your sparing shot plays. That's what this, this offense will put up points. Like, that's exactly what happened. They ran the football, ran the football, ran the football, kept things underneath. And when they found the shot play to go deep, they did it. And it had success. Like, that, this Saints offense is sustainable if they can continue to bully people in the trenches. And you could argue, you know, the Saints, is a top, the Saints have a top three offensive line in the NFL. Four line number one was specifically the talent they have to tackle on Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead. So, I think this is sustainable. I think the biggest stat for me Drew Brees did not attempt a single pass over 30 yards in the air last season. Jameis Winston did that in week one. Like that, that's <laughs> the difference. This, this offense can actually push the ball downfield because Jameis Winston's arm isn't cooked like Drew Brees was. So I do think that adds an element that they didn't have last year. It's going to ultimately make them more competitive. Austin, so the, the lone team in the AFC East, the first-place Miami Dolphins, uh, went on the road last week, took care of business, and now this week uh, hosts Buffalo, I believe, right? They host Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo coming off a disappointing loss against this week's Raiders opponent, the Steelers. That's an upcoming opponent. That That's Raiders' next home, um, home opponent is Miami after this week in week three. Is... Would you say Miami sort of has a, a statement to make this week as well? And is this team for real um, in terms of its defense and what it can do? Because right now the biggest concern for local fans here, the Las Vegas Raiders, is that offensive line getting banged up as much as it has. Yeah, I think for Miami, I think are, the, the defense is good. And for as long as Brian Flores is on the sideline, they're going to have a lot of success against most offenses in the NFL. I think offensively, Tua Tungabailoa had a really ugly interception in that game and was overall spotty from an accuracy perspective. I thought he didn't make some great decisions in that game. I was expecting a stronger performance. Now, he was going against Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick licks his chops against every inexperienced quarterback in the NFL. I think moving forward, you could see Tua Tungabailoa continue to have these struggles against good defenses, but he needs to build that chemistry with what is a very new-look receiving core. Will Fuller is expected back this week. Jalen Waddle, obviously, he had experience in college with, but now they're in Miami. I'm interested to see, can he win behind what I'd argue is a bottom-five offensive line in the NFL with a new-look receiving core and limit his mistakes? I have more worries on offense for Miami, and that's where I think the mistake needs to be made. Defensively, I think they're going to continue to have success. All right, give us a prediction before we let you go. October 10th, the Bears are playing here in Vegas. Is Justin Fields the starter for that game? I'd argue no. I, I don't think if, if Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were coaching or working for their jobs, they would be starting Andy Dalton. But they're not. I think they're giving them a long leash with Justin Fields, and they do not want him to play behind. You know, now they lost. You know, they lost more along the offensive line. This is one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, if not the worst offensive line. And there's that's the primary reason to not play a young quarterback. You don't not because and obviously some of this you don't want him to get hit. You don't want him to get hurt. You don't want him to take too many unnecessary hits. The other part of that is him developing bad habits. It's easier to develop bad habits behind a bad offensive line than it is a good one because you're going to bail out clean pockets, you're going to rush throws, you're going to be early on things. That's going to make it that much harder for him to develop in year two. I think they're holding out on Justin Fields to put him in a position to succeed in 2022 rather than rush him out on the field just to watch the Bears go like 6-11 and or whatever it's going to be. 
Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Absolutely. Thank you. We got to see Justin Fields before then, right? I really got <laughs> I, I don't like that answer. I want to see Justin Fields. I saw Justin Fields out here during the seven verse seven, seven on seven when he was still in high school. And they came out here and played the, the national championship out at Heritage Park. And uh, you know who else was at that one? And they won it. We'll be talking about him in a little bit. Tate Martell? Brock, Brock Purdy. Oh, Brock Purdy. <laughs> Coming up next, Taylor Heineke. What a superstar. That's Heineke. Looks right. Throws toward the end zone. Jump ball. Corner of the end zone. Touchdown. Ricky Seals-Jones. Touchdown, Washington. Unbelievable. Ricky Seals. (laughs) No, I think I can tell you what happened there. Why they both said at the same time. I think that was the color commentator helping out the play-by-play guy because Ricky Seals Jones caught the pass. So the play-by-play guy had to look down at his sheet and say, who the hell is that? (laughs) And the color commentator was like, oh my God, it's Ricky Seals Jones. Um, So Washington beat the Giants 30 to 29 last night, a walk-off field goal after a offsides that allowed them to kick a game-winning field goal after missing one. Um, and offsides, it saved Hopkins' job. did save Dustin Hopkins' job. So the last two primetime games, we have seen the Raiders and Ravens both try to lose in overtime. Mm. And we have now seen Washington and New York exchange field goals for an entire second half, it felt like, and eventually get one to go in at the buzzer. Uh, which game's dumber? Well, last night was so dumb that... Uh... My dachshund and I fell asleep before the end of the game. What? Toward the end, I nodded off. And I woke up, and they were doing the post-game talk. And I looked up, and Washington had won it. Didn't cover, but went over the posted total. So my prediction there was right. But uh, fell asleep. I don't think you get credit for that if you fall asleep during it. It went over, and you fell asleep. Nodded off at the end, yeah. (laughs) Well, it went over long before I nodded off, so. The over, that's always nice when the over cashes in before. The third quarter. Yeah. (laughs) Uh... I'm going to go with uh, last night just because of the dropped passes that should have been caught by both teams. There were there were, there were balls that were dropped. I mean, I mean, Willie Sneed dropped one that turned into an interception in yeah. the end zone. How hard was that ball thrown? That's I, the I'm, hardest I'm, throw of Derek Carr's career. <laughs> 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 that was his. He put on his best Kevin Gossman hat uh, and fired that one. Um, I, I, I have to go. I, I think I'm going with last night just uh, just because two two terrible teams or two terrible looking teams, I should say. Uh, Raiders and Ravens. I'm not going to put that one as 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 dumb as last night. What did you do? You remember the goal line sequence? I do remember that. That do was one re- sequence, though. Do you remember they wanted to kick the field goal on second down and couldn't find, find Daniel re- Carlson? <laughs> yeah, he was. So they had to no, take a delay. He was, game he was then, warming up in the net, right? And then, oh, they threw a touchdown on the next play. We can't find the. We can't find the kicker. Where should we look? Maybe by the net. Oh, and in between all of that, the one thing the Ravens couldn't do was fumble the ball to the Raiders' infield goal range. All of that happened in overtime. The overtime of the Raiders game was dumber than last night. That let me tell you something. Me and your uh, your good buddy Josh Dubow, we went back and forth with Paul Gutierrez sitting between us, and I'm standing up as I am right now, leaning on the media counter or the, the and looking at Josh, going, "Okay, wait, 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 no, 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 I'm gonna go with the 
Oh, no, 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 no. You you write this. No, I'll write this. Oh, wait. What interview room are you going? No, I'll go to this one. And then the game's over. He goes, go to the Ravens. Go to the Ravens. Go to the Ravens. <laughs> and I'm running down, catch the elevator. We changed story ideas and interview rooms four or five times in the last two minutes of regulation and the overtime. Because it was dumb. <laughs> the dumbest of the season. So far. Yes. We've got a lot of dumb to go. <laughs> but my favorite part about Taylor Heineke getting credit for last night is the only reason he had to lead a game-winning drive at the end was because he threw an interception on second down when they're supposed to be running the clock out. If he doesn't do that, there's no need for the game-winning yes, drive. Yes, why 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 were they passing? He put out a they, fire he started. They want they they he must have wanted to cover the game on that drive. He must have in his mind was thinking, well the line is three and a half. So and it pushed to four. Got to four, I should say. But uh, yeah, I have no question. I have no answer for that for that particular drive. Why he why they were passing? Who play? Who called that play? Why not just run it down the gut? Who knows? But a um, couple of ugly games, definitely. The, you know, th- you think about though, three of the four primetime games have come down to the end. You know, outside of the Rams blasting the Bears, you had the Cowboys, Buccaneers, you had then then the Rams and uh, Bears, and then. Uh, Raiders Ravens and last night. So for fans sake that, that enjoy uh, the hysteria, it's, it's been a heck of a start with primetime NFL games. We've actually gotten two good Thursday games. Now next week, what is it? Panthers and jets. What the hell Ooh, is that? Yeah. How did they go worse? Darnold than, revenge. Right. How did they go worse than giants and Washington? Yeah. I just want to know, like at the beginning, when they were making that sketch, when they made that, like which at at some point did they think in their mind that those were going to be contending teams? Was that their? Wait, it's oh, I'm sorry, it's worse than Panthers Jets. It's oh. Panthers Texans. Oh Jesus, oh, man. <laughs> well, well, from a Las Vegas standpoint, everyone will be hoping that Brevin Jordan gets in the game. And the next week is Jags Bengals. Wow, what 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 are they thinking? Oh, okay, well, that so, one they want to sell Trevor Lawrence. Well, here's here's my thought on it: is the NFL, in some regard, has to give every team a primetime game over the course of a few years. Like you can't just have a team not ever play in primetime. So the idea is: okay, Thursday's the least Watched. valuable time yeah. slot of primetime. And if we put the Jaguars and Bengals on in Week Four, if we put the Texans and Panthers on in Week Three. They're still in it technically. They're, they haven't been eliminated <laughs> from the playoffs. They yet. can still, yeah, they can still, and they can sell the, they can sell the, the, uh, the revenge game. They're as not, Jared well, said. it's not revenge because I got it wrong. It's Panthers. Oh, Texas. that's right, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's, but I, I think that's it. Is they got to put these teams on prime time at some point to sort of be fair to all their teams. And so early Thursday night, put the terrible teams on because technically you're not out of it at zero and three. And that's gonna be. That's not. It's going to be tough to sell that one after what Cleveland does to to the Texans. Panthers, Texans, unbelievable. And then it gets worse. Jags and Bengals. Like we seriously, we go for. We're going to be longing for Washington, New York in two weeks because that's going to be the greatest Thursday night game of the year.